Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jerry Callahan from the Jerry Callahan Podcast, and I'm taking the Ravens to knock off the Titans. Bet Online has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit betonline.net today.
He's been running these streets for years And he's still here And so is fear Undisputed, never lost around Bodies hit the ground When the bad guy comes to town American gangster, this man will put a hurt on you You'll be crying for your mama by the time he's through You better believe that your life's in danger When you see the American gangster What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather. My first thoughts when I heard this was, what's that mean for the Paul brothers? Because that was Jake Paul calling for the fight. It was Logan Paul that got the fight. Back up a week, Jake Paul was calling out Logan Paul. This is some level of competitiveness, no? I mean, they both got into YouTube. Logan was there first. Jake comes behind him. Logan always had more numbers. Jake started to catch him. I mean, you might think that's just brotherly love, and maybe it is. Maybe I'm making more of it, but I'm making more of it through what they told us. Jake is the one that called out Logan and then waved it off and said, no, I I don't want to actually fight my brother, but I have no question that I could kick my brother's ass. And then Logan comes in and steals the fight. Am I making something out of nothing? Maybe. But maybe I'm not. So that was one of my first takes. I read the name and go, oh, they must have wrote this down wrong. That's Jake's fight. I kept looking. I go, no. Logan came in and swooped the fight. The other side of it is it's very disappointing in this regard. And this is a selfishness. Floyd is doing nothing wrong, and neither is Paul, and neither is the promoter. And if I could trade seats with any one of those three, I would. So I'm definitely coming to you with option four, which is that of a selfish person that likes to watch Floyd compete. This is not a competition. They're not even calling it a competition. They are calling it something else. They've come in with some other word. Exhibit. Session. Whatever word it is they've used, they're not even calling it a fight. Meaning a struggle between two guys with like-minded goals who are trying to stop the other one. A competition. And the, and the reason that that's sad is because then we're never going to get Floyd back. We will never get Floyd back. And when I say that Floyd is doing nothing wrong, he's not. Your goal in every fight, and something that Floyd has done a great job at, even if a lot harder than this fight, but you try to fight the easiest guy for the most money. That's what the business is. You don't try to fight the best guy or the hardest guy or the matchup problem. You try to fight the easiest guy for the most amount of money. Generally, that doesn't work out. You will have a promoter in the room who's some level of an adult who's going to put the right guys in there with one another. But that doesn't mean that the athlete doesn't do whatever manipulation he can do to get the easiest fight for the most amount of money. And the only reason I bring that up is if Floyd can go and find these things, and this is his second time finding one of these things recently. In fairness, he tried to do it three times. He tried to do it all the way back to Conor McGregor. Just turned out Conor was ready to ready to fight. But what he he went over to Japan and took on that gentleman Teshin, said the guy's name, and now he's going to come take on Paul. He's going to make a whole bunch of money. So you're just not going to get him back into a competitive field. You're just not going to have the Triple G's or the Canelos or any kind of these discussions when that's not what he has to go do. He can now go and do 
the silly stuff. So I bring that to you because where does that end? And the whole thing does look very silly. Uh, I'm just, another MMA fighter just called out one of the Paul brothers. Was it Cejudo? I think it was Henry, but somebody called out one of the Paul brothers. And like at some point that gets a little bit weird. You have to understand Floyd's not in the same spot. Have Floyd been called out by Triple G? If he'd been called out by De La Hoya, who was fainting a comeback a minute ago, and said no to these fights and then accepted Paul, he would look like a bit of a fool. So it's one of these things where when you have these MMA fighters who are offered MMA fights and say, no, I'm retired, I'm done, okay, we can all live with that if you're done, if you no longer want to compete. And whether that's for health reasons, personal reasons, legacy reasons, if you mean it and you're sincere, we will look the other way. When you're saying no to meaningful fights and then trying to insert yourself in an easy fight, you're now a bully. Doing the number one thing that a bully does, which is take on fights and pick on people that he can get away with taking on and picking on. Floyd didn't do that, and that wasn't Floyd's choosing. The Canelos and the Triple Gs and the De La Hoyas aren't smart enough to attach their name to Floyd. They could have, should have, and would have ran with it, but they didn't do that to him. So because Floyd's sitting over here with absolutely nothing to say no to, he now is on the other side of the coin. Floyd's brave. Floyd was called out. Didn't matter who called him out. He's going to take the fight. He could say Mike Tyson could have called me. Whoever calls me out, you're going to be fighting me. Oh, this guy called me out. This Paul guy, great. I'll take on Paul. Then It was just one of those things. And we're splitting hairs. It's a little bit small, but there is a difference. There is a difference in the way that Floyd led his path to get to this silliness. And the other guys who got left out and wished that they would have spoke up sooner and aren't going to get in there that now look petty and silly. We just saw this in MMA. We see this every week, but we just saw this in MMA with Chemayev. Nobody will fight Chemayev. Leon steps up, agrees to do it. I mean, I'm saying Leon stepping up. In some ways, it's Chemayev stepping up. Leon's the one ranked number three in the world. But in all fairness, you understand my point. As soon as Chemayev gets on a docket with somebody, in this case, Leon, five different guys call him out. Which is a little bit weird considering that docket fell apart and those five guys were about as loud as a room full of crickets. Right? With the only one exception being Neil Magny who's the only one that comes out of this thing looking like roses. I'm just saying there's a time and a place. There's a time and a place to do these things. And everything seemed to work out for Floyd. And I would like the backstory. And I think that we're going to get it at some point. Is it just me? Did I miss something? Or did Logan Paul just take his brother's match? Dana announced that he is going to trim the roster 60 guys in the upcoming days, weeks. And Bellator just went through this. Bellator is a month ago, 30 guys. And it was not a commentary on those guys. I mean, they were cutting studs. Sean Bunch at Bellator, by example. I remember seeing that name go, whoa. Chris Lencioni at Bellator. I mean, really good fighters. Yoel Romero, the UFC. And what hard decisions, right? Personnel decisions are very hard. Let's back this up. I was a little surprised either organization was cutting anybody. And the reason I say I was surprised, I don't know if either organization's been so busy. Like, if there's ever been a time where you need guys and where guys are getting uh, put to work, and, you know, those contracts are tough. It's not quite as easy as some of you might think. 
Like generally when somebody got cut, they're on a losing streak or they missed weight or they were in violation of this or their time is just done here or they're a pain in the ass to work with. Um, those contracts call for three fights a year. And as the promoter, if you cannot offer those fights, and all you have to do is offer them, but if you cannot offer them, you've got to then write the check and send it off. Now, I only bring that to you because these contracts are they're pretty tough. From a legal standpoint, there is a cause at certain times where we have to make tough decisions. I just didn't know either promotion was in that position right now because they've been so busy. This pandemic ha- has sprung MMA. I mean, MMA got right down to brass tacks, figured out how to do a bubble, figured out where to do locations, keep everybody safe, write really big checks for testing, but they were putting out a lot of content and a lot of fights. So I remember when Bellator went through this a month ago going, 30 guys, it seems as though all your guys are so busy right now, and the UFC doing the same thing, 60 guys. It seems like you're doing just as many shows now as you were doing a previous year. So I just share with you, that's where it surprised me. Maybe I need to do a better job of looking at a calendar. I'm clearly missing something. But then you have Yoel Romero specifically. And very tough because, again, it is not a uh, commentary on Yoel. Yoel is a straight-up stud. He is leaving the organization. I don't have the rankings in front of me. I don't even know where to find those damn rankings. But he's got to be in the top five. Whether he's ranked it or not, Yoel Romero's a top five guy in the world. So it's it's one of these weird situations where you want to show a certain amount of respect to Yoel because you respect him. If you're the promoter, you're looking at this guy who's a total stud, who was sacrificed, who came up a very hard life in Cuba, overcame, escaped, made his life better, and people like him. Seems to be a pretty decent guy. You want to show him a level of respect to what he did. And then you look at it and go, but I have. Multiple world title fights, by example. Multiple main events and co-main events. Multiple fight of the night bonuses. And not only multiple world title fights, multiple elimination fights for world titles. I can think of multiple matches that Yoel Romero was in. I can go all the way back to the night he fought Jacques Array. If he won that fight, and he did, he was going to go fight for a world championship. But he's had a bunch of those fights. His fight with Paulo Costa. I mean, if Yoel wasn't in a world title fight, he was he was one away. Maybe more so than anybody I can think of in recent memory. I only bring that to you because at some point you want to show a guy respect, and you go, but I did. I did show him respect. And then you got to look at shelf life. And the UFC and Bellator are very well known for, we only have guys here who are champion or who can be champion. And that starts to become a question of, well, am I right or wrong? Okay, let's let's hold the competition of the unified rules, show it in front of the world, see what the judges or the competitors have to say. It turns into one of those things where you don't just dismiss a guy, but every now and then you are given your answer. You were given your answer definitively on Yoel Romero, who, by the way, is never going to return to a championship fight or to an elimination fight for a championship fight just because he had that opportunity so many times. Just one of those things. Pretty good spot to be in if you're Yoel Romero, right? means you really grabbed, you grabbed that limit and you squeezed all the juice out of it. The other side of the coin is, is there a place on the roster for a guy to just float around the bracket and be a bracket buster? Stop a top guy on any given night. It's, just, it's a tough spot. 
I'm not answering these questions. I'm just suggesting for you that as it pertains to Yoel Romero, it's a tough spot because he is a unique guy. You can't just look at his age of 42, 43, 44, whatever that number is, and dismiss him. Those rules do not apply. That DNA does not apply to Yoel Romero. That is a a once-in-a-lifetime specimen. You also don't have to uh, cry in your beer for Yoel Romero. He's one of the good news stories because Yoel will do what Yoel wants to do. If Yoel wants to go into competitive grappling and make a paycheck, all he has to do is put the word out to grappling. He will get grabbed right up. If he wants to go and, and do some of these silliness, some of these boxing, somebody suggested on the underground forum, I love the idea, Yoel Romero versus Mike Tyson. I loved it. I wasn't against it at all. Is that silly? Is that something you could have done years ago? No. Is that fight going to happen? No. But to the point of Yoel Romero is an attraction. There is something there, and he is very dynamic. He can go and grapple. He can go and strike. He can go land on his feet and go do MMA. Yoel Romero can do and has done and has proven do a little bit of everything. He's a very he's a very interesting guy, but I more wanted to bring to your guys' attention. I mean, maybe a maybe a congrats to Yoel, right? Everybody's career in some way. In an ideal world, you you write off like Lennox Lewis or George St. Pierre. In a more realistic world, you do it on your own terms. This is my last one. I'm done and goodbye. In the colder side of the coin, is somebody else decides that for you. I do not believe that Yoel Romero's career is done. For the points that I just laid out, all he has to do is raise his hand and somebody's going to throw him in. Absolutely they will. In multiple uh, different sports, somebody will put Yoel to work. But if, if he comes out and goes, well, that's not what I want to do. I had one goal, to be the champion of the world. If I can't be the champion of the world in MMA, then I'm going to go off and then fill in the blank. Raise this kid, coach future generations, go into a totally different venture, and he's one of those guys like Spinks that you just never hear from him again. Whatever it is, we I think we do owe Yoel a thank you. We got some good Yoel memories. Yoel was fun. Yoel's interesting. Yoel was different. I've never seen an athlete from an X's and O's standpoint as drastic at, as Yoel at coast, 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 sprint. Coast, 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 sprint. He used to do that in his wrestling days. He'd be in a match, a match was when he was competing, it was five minutes long. He'd wrestle 10 seconds of those five minutes and get enough points to take him to the Olympic finals. He'd wrestle 10 seconds, coast, 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 boom, explode. Get enough points, won himself a world championship, I believe in 1998. I mean, the guy was something else to watch because you never knew when it was coming. You just knew it was. You didn't know when. You didn't know what trigger was going to hit that was going to make him put his foot down on the gas, but you knew it was coming. If you've ever done boxing, kickboxing, or thought about learning how, but you're just too busy, or you can't access a good boxing gym, you definitely need to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing and kickboxing gym to you. It comes with all the gear you need. Fight Camp comes with the best freestanding punching bag available, great quality boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on an iOS device. 
And then, once you have all the gear, you can choose from one of six trainers with real fight experience to lead you through a 15, 30, or 45-minute workout structured like a boxing match. Three minutes of work, one minute of rest. The Fight Camp app comes with over 600 workouts and tutorials for beginners, intermediate and advanced boxers and kickboxers, and they are releasing 12 new workouts every week. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR and $0 down. And right now, as a limited time holiday offer, get free shipping and a gift valued up to $109 with every Fight Camp package. Go to joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. That's right. Get free shipping and a gift valued up to $109 with your purchase. Bring an authentic boxing and kickboxing gym into your home with Fight Camp. To get your free gift, just go to joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. Joinfightcamp.com slash welcome. Take a look at the heavyweight division. Okay, we, we've got the players. We've got the pieces. we got the rules. we got the weight class. One thing we don't have is a date. Francis Ngano, Stipe Miocic. Francis came out with a comment that Stipe Miocic has held up the heavyweight division for a long time and needs to get on with it. Well, I like the concept. I'm just trying to think, is, is that fair from... Is that a fair statement by Francis? I don't know about that. I'd have to go back and get a calendar out, but I was at Stipe versus Cormier. It wasn't that long ago. And we were kind of told as, as soon as that night, Dana went to the press conference and said, it's Engano next. And that was relevant because there was people trying to take that spot. There's people trying to get in on John Jones, for example. You know, the media was kind of doing that even more than John was, but they're trying to get him that spot. Dana said, I just want to make this perfectly clear. Francis has done everything right. I'm not going to deny him the opportunity. So it might have felt like to Francis that that was a, a meaningful amount of time ago, but Dana, even that night, had said that's going to be early next year. Now, the rumors that we're all hearing is that that's scheduled or looking or targeting a February date and a March at the latest, which is essentially the same thing. February, March. Okay. I'm just not sure what's changed. I don't know where Stipe has held up a division. I don't, I don't know where I'm seeing that. Stipe can't do anything until they say, will you fight? And then if they say, will you fight Francis specifically under these rules at this weight class, and he says yes to everything, I don't know that it's Stipe that's holding it up, right? I mean, don't forget, guys, we're in a very interesting spot in that, aside from Figueredo, who's going to fight this Saturday, there is no title fights booked. Do you guys realize that? Izzy versus Blahovich. We know it's happening. It's not booked. Gilbert Burns, Kamara Usman. We know it's happening. It's not booked. Amanda Nunes coming back to defend. We know that's going to happen. It's not booked. Have you put this in perspective? Are you guys aware of this? Even Peter Yon and Sterling has been announced that it's going to happen. It's not booked. Now, what's the difference? Just a date. All we're talking about is a date. You, you start looking at the pieces. You start putting them on the board. It's a coordinated effort. There's some logistics there. you got to pick the dates. And it just hasn't, they haven't got to it yet. 
So I only share that to you because I'm not, I like where Francis's head is at. I like the message that Francis is giving, which is that he's chomping at the bit, that he feels as though he's being held back. It's very important that an athlete feel that way. You'll hear her, uh, words like hungry. Is this guy still hungry? When a guy's talking the way Francis is talking, yes, that means he is hungry. It means I cannot wait. What is taking so long? Bring me the baddest dude in the world. Let me get this guy out of here. Let me prove I'm the baddest guy in the world. I like Francis's headspace. I'm just not sure it's an accurate statement. And I feel like a few of these things have been put on Stipe over the years. I remember when Daniel was frustrated with Stipe for not doing the contract. And Stipe's like, I'm in a pandemic. I'm a first responder. What do you want me to do? All I, all I need to do is get her to the gym. And I only need to do that for eight weeks. And I'll come and fight you. But I need those eight weeks. And I don't know when that cal- when that clock's going to start. I mean, I only bring that to you because particularly in hindsight, that was very fair of Stipe. Oh, and then by the way, when he was given an opportunity to prove that he was sincere, he did. As soon as the gym opened up, he signed a contract that same day. He was never bluffing. He was never ducking. He was never running. He wasn't doing anything. He just wanted to get into a practice room. Pretty reasonable for the heavyweight champion, right? Bring that to you because I'm not sure. And then Stipe, even before that, had some kind of an issue. It was with his eye from that second fight with Cormier where he recaptured the championship. But something happened to his eye. I want to say maybe even his, his cornea. And it just delayed him. I don't know how much heat we're going to put on Stipe for wanting to get his eye fixed. But I noticed that people did. But when the shoe was on the other foot and you date back two years and they usher Stipe out to bring Brock Lesnar in, took everything from him, including his post-fight interview, I didn't see anybody come to Stipe's defense. I mean, it does seem like it's about time if we're going to tell the Stipe story that we start telling it accurately. It's not a guy that that comes out and, and, and bangs his chest and defends himself. It's kind of incumbent upon us, the viewer, to look at what's happening and correct statements when they're wrong. Francis is in a good place. I love everything I'm hearing from Francis. I am just splitting hairs here to try to determine, is that an accurate state? Has Stipe held that division up at all? Unless Francis has some information that we haven't been revealed, that fight, is targeted for February, possibly March, the same as it was last month, the month before that, and the month before when the statement was initially made. Nothing has changed. I think that needs to be considered. And if Francis has information that we don't have and something is delaying that fight, share it. Clarissa Shields coming over to the mixed martial arts, signed with the PFL, and is getting work in, in Albuquerque, uh, Coach Wink in the room with John Jones, in the room with Holly Holm, and I caught some training video with her, it was just pad work, it was just the mitts, I thought she looked awesome, I was so impressed with, with what I saw, not only the, the flexibility and the way that her body was moving, but the stance for a western boxer versus a kickboxer slash MMA fighter is different, very different. And until you correct that stance, you cannot use your knees or your kicks. You just won't be in a position to throw them. So even just watching this mitt work that was right around eight seconds, it was a very quick video. But she was even doing the same side uh, jab followed with a head kick like a Carlos Condit style technique. I've only seen that move coming from guys from the Jackson Wink gym just by example. And for them to get their hands on her this fast and be able to put out that kind of mitt work 
was very impressive. And please don't correct me and be one of those people that go, well, the Mets is a big different from Sparta. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand all of those things. They're kind of skills in and of themselves. How you look on the mitts does not directly translate to how you're going to do in the ring. How you look in the ring doesn't directly translate to how you're going to do on the mitts. But for what that one aspect is, I was so impressed. I was so impressed how, how and I could tell she has an open mind. There's no way you could make the, the progressions that she has made without having a very open mind and being a very coachable athlete. Which I think largely probably comes from her amateur days. I also think that the fact that she would put herself in such a trying situation as being in the room every day with Holly Holm, one of the baddest women ever, and this is who you would like to go and spar and work out and train next to, I thought was very impressive. We don't always see that. I'll go back to James Tony. James Tony fights Randy Couture. James Tony, total stud, but he was very scared and unconfident of what he was doing, to the, uh, to the extent that he didn't even want to feel that in the practice room. Not only was he not prepared to take on a Randy Couture in an MMA-style match, he was not even to the point yet where he wanted to prepare to get... He, didn't want, he wasn't ready to get ready. He was not putting himself in an environment where he was going to deal with adversity. I followed that fight. I was part of Randy Couture's training camp for that fight. I don't have the foggiest idea to this day who cornered Tony, what Jimmy was at, what it was called, who his workout partners were, and I watched it. I watched the videos of him there, but it was one of these situations, and I don't attempt to to insult James Tony. I'm sharing with you, it's a very real thing. When you when you get scared to do something, the last thing that you want to do while you're trying to get a head full of steam is every single day be reminded that you're the nail and everybody else is a hammer and I don't know what I'm doing. It's it's one of these things. And I thought that for Clarissa Shields to even put herself in that environment where she's got to go rounds every day with Holly Holm, an amateur, she's an amateur. She has no background, does not know what she's doing on paper. But to privately put herself in that situation, I just thought, what a winner's mindset. And then I see this video where she's looking fantastic and she's looking powerful. Very very heavy hands. And all of a sudden her kicks are coming along. Her knees are coming along. She's jumping up off the ground. Things that you can't do unless you've changed your stance, something you would not do with her level of success unless you were prepared to humble yourself. And you're a very coachable athlete. I think that the Clarissa Shields experiment has major problems. But I don't know that her skills are going to be part of them. And how much do you need to learn? Fair question, not a dismissive question, not a condescending question. How much do you need to learn? If you have a sprawl and can keep a fight on your feet, it sounds like you you just solved this puzzle. If you have two escapes from the bottom, zero submissions, but two escapes from the bottom... Right, Get to an opposing hip as the side of your underhook. Keep your head up and stand up to your feet. If you can do that, you've got a way to go in the world of MMA if we're going to concede that you're the best striker with an MMA. I mean, how much do you actually have to know? But for the Clarissa Shields experiment to work, we're going to need some other parts, starting with who's an opponent. And what every promotion does, and I am confident the PFL will make the mistake of doing as well is to bring in a bum who can who can fog, fog a mirror and believe that Clarissa on her own can sell. That she will bring enough from the boxing world. There is no boxing world and she does not have a fan base. She's not bringing anybody with her. PFL, you're going to have to start from scratch. Secondly, if you attempt to turn on us, the viewer, who in all fairness is very spoiled, 
MMA is so competitive and so hard, and it's the best against the best at all times. If you attempt to jinx that system by bringing in somebody that can fog a mirror and nothing else to take on. Now you've lost us. So you're not going to get the fan base that you think exists known as as boxing fans. That's not true. Non-existent. And if you piss us off, you now have nothing. Oh, and by the way, you're doing it in a division that doesn't exist. 155 pounds was created for Kayla Harrison, but it's still not an in-depth division. Chris Cyborg herself, when she signed with Bellator, said, I'm going to Bellator because Scott Coker has the deepest and best rosters of women's fighters at 145 pounds. Amanda Nunes is having to cover the spread in two different weight classes right now just to find herself busy. And now you're taking another weight class that doesn't exist, that didn't exist except for Kyla Harrison, that not one of you that maybe don't even like what I'm saying right now could produce one name for me. And by the way, you don't have to produce one. You're going to have to produce 25 if you're going to have a meaningful division. So we first have to discuss who is it that she's going to go in and beat. And this entire experiment that we've seen done a million times by a million promoters of bringing a star and put them against a bum and build them doesn't work and it has never worked. That is a boxing business model. And once every four years, there's somebody that you can draw from that fought the guy at the local bar and got a big, beautiful record next to his name, and now he gets to go fall down on pay-per-view. So I I do wonder what they plan to do with Clarissa. Even if they want to give her a stud right out of the gate, that stud does not exist. The only person with any level of name recognition at 155 pounds was Kayla Harrison, who has now left 155 pounds. I only bring that for you not to be negative. I want to bring it to you because it appears to me that Clarissa's doing her part. Clarissa appears by my eyes in those uh, a number of seconds to really be doing a great job. But it's going to take some more here. And it's going to start with finding an opponent. And if you try to find her a bum as a way of testing her, why, why would you be carrying her to start with? What is it that she has that you would need to carry? It's not Logan or Jake Paul. This isn't going to be a name recognition situation. This comes from a competitive architecture. She is the Olympic champion, is used to competitiveness. She is not going to shy away. She is not going to back down. So don't think as a built-in mechanism that you need to do her a favor. Bring her a real athlete. Put these real athletes together and see what happens. If this is a one-off and that's only good for one night of business, you're writing the same size check, PFL. It doesn't change. So let's go make a competitive match. Let's see what happens. Kayla's, I apologize, Clarissa is doing her part. We're going to need more pieces for this story to come together. And it starts with, who is she going to fight? Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Oh, here's an interesting question. Dana got asked this. What is the toughest division right now? 
It's the toughest division in MMA right now. And Dana kind of hedged it. He was kind of thinking out loud and going, well, you know, the heavyweights are looking pretty good. And, uh, well, what's going on at 205? He kind of he kind of spread it around a little bit. But I was tr- kind of trying to zero in. What would I say is the toughest division? I think it's 155, and I'm not sh- really sure where you're going to have a debate. Justin Gaethje is not the champion. Do I need to go on? Tony Ferguson is not the champion. Conor McGregor is not the champion. Dustin Poirier is not uh, the champion. I mean, do I need to go on about how hard 155 is? Michael Chandler is not yet even a contender. Do I need to go on about how hard 155 is? It's a very unique spot. I feel like it's been this way for a period of time. And the only the only division that could, could cross counter-argue with 55 is 45. It's why it was so meaningful when Connor became simultaneous champions at 45 and 55, the two hardest weight classes in the sport and the two hardest weight classes that the sport has ever seen. I feel that way. I feel like that is iron on top of iron. I think it's one of the reasons that Khabib was recognized so strongly worldwide for what he had done. We've seen a lot of heavyweights do what Khabib did. Maybe not in MMA, but we've seen a lot of heavyweights that do what Khabib did. But then you can also break down the argument as to how and why. Well, there's not a whole lot of big guys out there to start with. Your pool's smaller. And for big guys, they have other opportunities. They can go NFL by example. They can go NBA by example. So first off, you don't have a whole bunch of them, and then they have a whole bunch of opportunity. And when you get down to it, yeah, you could have a heavyweight that went five, six, ten years, Alexander Carell, and ten years undefeated. There was guys ever bit as good, move for move and skill for skill, but they weren't in that weight class. At 155 pounds or even 145 pounds, it's not that way. I think when you look at 155 right now, you've got some very meaningful matches. And I understand that we're going to see a main event on January 23rd between Poirier and Conor McGregor. But we are going to see a co-main event as soon as this Saturday between Oliveira and Tony Ferg. And the only thing really, in all fairness from a competitive standpoint, the only difference between those two matches is the placement on the card. If Tony Ferg and Oliveira was a main event and Connor and Poirier Bay were a main event, I feel as though we would have a very clear discussion right now that those winners are going to draw into each other and that's where Khabib's title, if not spoken for by Khabib within that time frame, those are the guys that are going to compete. And I feel as though that discussion isn't happening. I think some of you might be missing. Not you hardcore fans. So maybe not some of you. You're hardcore fans. But... I do think that people are missing how good Oliveira is. Tony's up against it. In many ways, he's up against it uh, psychologically. In terms of coming off a loss, where am I at? Have I made the adjustments? In terms of Tony likes to be out there all night and a little bit longer, this is going to be a three-round affair. I mean, things are different psychologically. Tony is going to have to change his strategy. If you go back and look at Tony's fight against Anthony Pettis, which was a great fight, but where Tony had to put his foot down on the gas and start to open up and separate because he was in the second round, because one round was already completed, and the fight is now coming to an end in comparison to the title fights and the five-round fights that main events bring with him that Tony was used to, it was different. It's one of the things that made what Tony did so impressive. I think it's one of the reasons that he got the of-the-night bonus that night. 
is because he very clearly had to change strategies from what he was used to to what this environment calls for. And I, I just bring that to you because Tony is a little bit up against it, right? The favorite always is. It's the underdog who gets the big advantage. Now, usually that will balance itself out because the underdog now has to fight as the marquee fight in the main event. So now he has to deal with the pressures. And now you have this whole discussion of, is it the experience of Tony versus the pressures of Oliveira? Oliveira, in some ways, is getting a very good deal here because he's not having to deal with the pressures. He's not even closing out the night. He he found himself in a three-round co-main event with the guy that holds the keys to the kingdom of the division. You beat Tony Ferguson, you matter in that division. End of story. So where does that leave you? How many questions does Tony have of himself coming into this match, or is it the opposite? Tony Ferg dances to the beat of his own drum. He may be completely re-energized, rejuvenated, and motivated based on what happened in the Gaethje fight, and we're just using historical data of other athletes, of which are not Tony Ferguson, to to try and draw a conclusion, but... Either way, Tony's up against it. This is a hard match. And not everyone knows that. right? If the, if the world just knew, if you're in Tony's spot and you go, okay, but but all of you want, you, you know this guy's really good. You know this guy's won seven of his last seven and, and he's ranked number five in the world and uh, you know he's really good, right? I mean, it's, it's one of those things because if they don't know, okay, then I have to look good. I not only have to beat him, I got to look good the entire time because perception is reality and you don't perceive him to be in the upper echelons of dialogue and conversation. But it's important that that gets identified prior to the fight. If Tony goes out there and whoops Oliveira, not just beats him, if he goes out there and whoops Oliveira, Tony needs to be fighting for a world championship. That's how good Oliveira is. I'm trying to give Oliveira his due. And on one side is because this might be a fresh face and fresh parody, and we don't want to deny him an opportunity that he earns if he goes out and gets over on Tony, the other side of the coin is just because Tony's a more familiar face doesn't mean that he isn't putting himself in the exact same spot that deserves the exact same bounce. Should he go out and get his desired result? It's an interesting match. It's an interesting division. In my opinion, it is far and away the toughest and deepest division, but I want to hear from you. I got asked a fun question. I got asked, what would it take for Conor McGregor to fight for the UFC championship. And the reason I thought it was a fun question is I was very annoyed with it. Uh, wh- what would it take for Conor McGregor to fight for a champ? Well, he has a fight coming up with Poirier. He would need a promoter to say it's for a championship by one example. I was very annoyed by the question. And the more I started looking into the simplicity of it, the deeper and more sophisticated my thoughts started to get. And all of a sudden, I was having fun with it. For Conor to fight for a championship, there is one thing that has to happen, in all fairness, which is the championship has to become available. As of right now, the champion himself, Khabib, is saying, I'm done, I'm no longer champion. As a matter of fact, I'm not even in the sport. As a matter of fact, I will never be competing in said sport or with said organization again. The organization said, you know what, we don't accept. You're still the champion. I hear a little something in your tone. I happen to think that this was a spur of the moment. I'm going to let you think on that. I don't know if we've been in that spot before. But in all fairness, to answer the question, the first thing that we would need for Connor to fight for a championship is for the championship to become available. And then it comes down to, what if it doesn't become available? What if the 
tone that Dana is hearing in his ear is correct, which means Khabib stays the champion. Well, okay, then Connor's going to have to beat Poirier, and then he's going to have to fight Khabib. And the question in many ways does become where? I understand that the, the likely answer as it sits today is in Abu Dhabi. But guys, we're right on we're right on the verge of a vaccine. I mean, the vaccine's going to change the world, right? The same way that the pandemic changed it. The vaccine is going to make its own corrections. All of a sudden, what does that open up? Does that open up Madison Square Garden? Does Khabib retain the title? Connor goes and gets past Poirier, and Connor draws into Khabib at Madison Square Garden or any other venue. For that point, it, but it is it is a little bit of a piece of fantasy of what exactly is going to have to happen for Connor to fight for the championship. And if Khabib walks away but doesn't do it in time, or this isn't accepted within time of Poirier Connor to be for the championship, then Connor just eliminated one major player. If we're looking at this from Connor's perspective, I get that Poirier can beat Connor, Connor can beat Poirier. I was asked the question from Connor's perspective. That just eliminated a major player and a potential championship match. Dana could come to you guys right now and say, Connor's fighting Poirier for the title. And you'd all go, oh, that makes sense. Okay. When's that going to be? But if he eliminates Poirier first, where's he go? And there appears to be all of a sudden uh, this super six going around. You've got Poirier and Connor. You have coming up Ferguson taking on Oliveira. If Oliveira isn't a bracket buster and Ferguson stays the guy, it would appear that you only have two players left that are very meaningful top draws, which is Gaethje Chandler. Gaethje has said, I want a quick turnaround. Chandler's saying, I want anybody, bring it on. I mean, it just seems that you're kind of down to the super six, and that's with Khabib staying on the shelf. Now, you're in an ultra-competitive division where one thing that we have seen at 155 pounds, much like 145 pounds, and any other fantastically competitive sport or division on the face of the earth is musical chairs with your top guys. There is going to be a new fresh face to pop in. In fact, one just did. His name is Michael Chandler. But by example, and to prove my point, what a difference a day makes. I mean, how quickly things can change. We thought Khabib was done. Now we're told maybe not. We thought Connor and Poirier were going to go and fight for Khabib's belt. Now we're told that isn't going to happen. I'm just sharing with you. Things change very quickly. If Oliveira comes in and busts the bracket, guys that do that don't generally bust into the top echelon to stay at number three. Generally, when they bust through, they go all the way to the top and he's going to be given his shot. Does that happen here or not? Look, it's it's all for discussion. It's all for talk. But in all fairness, this is the time to talk about it because none of these things are decided yet. There's so many moving parts. I'm watching Martin, by the way, Fatori, do everything right. I mean, this guy's this guy's a star. He's got the it factor. He's got the Cody Garbrandt for this weight class. And all he will say what comes out of his mouth is, is he Adesanya? And that's not a stretch like when most guys say it because he's already fought Adesanya and one judge thought he won the fight. He's got an argument. He's got a good argument. Now he's in the five-round club out of nowhere. That wasn't true a week ago. Stepped in on short notice. Now we know he wants it. We know he's hungry. He's going to gain a lot of fans from that. 
not just from the success and the victory, but the ways that he went out there and did it, stacking the deck against himself to take on Jack the Joker, who nobody wanted to fight with a full training camp, and only one guy would fight him with no training camp. He's going to get credit for that. Vittori is a very interesting player at a weight class that is very interesting right now because the champion just left it to go up to 205 but did not relinquish. It's very smart what Vittori is doing. He's starting to position himself, if not against Adesanya, which that's as good of an option as any for Adesanya. I mean, right, in all fairness, that's as good of an option as any that you have right now if you're going to do it at 185, but position yourself for that interim championship, which is likely eminent. Likely. And if Adesanya doesn't come down, they'll transfer that thing right into the Undisputed Championship. If he does come down, you get what you want anyway. Look, this is the time to talk. When we're talking about what would it take for Conor McGregor to fight for a world championship, that's the question that everybody should be asking themselves every single day. And I'm watching Vittori. I'm watching him from a distance. And I'm watching him. Everything's right. No misses yet. Was a bit of a jerk in a hotel lobby, but then that he didn't even go too far with that. That was just enough to keep you interested and, and, and not make you label this guy for life as a brat. It was just enough to keep it interesting. It was just enough edge to keep you curious. This is the time for talk. Right now. When things aren't figured out. When things aren't decided. When there's a lot of balls up up in the air. Align your cannons. Get your fan base. And go after what you want. So Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather. That, that is, it's interesting to me. And I don't mean the X's and O's or do we have a competition here. That, that, that part is silly. I'm talking about... Why is that acceptable? Why would that be acceptable in the world of boxing? It wouldn't be, by example, in the world of MMA. MMA would not accept the best we've ever had versus somebody famous. That wouldn't sell, that wouldn't draw, and even your hardcore fans aren't going to, they're just not going to tune in. That's not interesting. But I'm wondering why. Is it because of the actual activity itself? Is it just be- boxing's really easy to understand? You got this hand and you got this hand. And you have nothing else and everything's above the waist. I mean, it's pretty simplistic rules. Is that what it is? And MMA is just more complex? With the intricacies and in certain words that would intimidate and run you away like Komora and Gogo Plata? By example, is that what the turnoff is? Because it's always been argued from day one that fighting, speaking about MMA, is something that people just understand. You could watch it with the volume off. You're just going to kind of understand. Okay, now they're wrestling around. They're trying to get position. They're they're trying to strike one another. I've always believed that. So I don't know that I would be quick to then believe, well, boxing is even easier to understand. Is it? Really? Got a 10-9 must system. The judges are going to see this and... Queensberry rule, then this part of your glove, much times this part of your body, for it to be a significant strike. I don't know. Is it the simplicity? I feel like there's some kind of a deeper meaning here. I think think it has to do with uh, one thing that nobody's talking about, which is that boxing doesn't have fans. And that always seems to be something that turns boxing off. But whether it's Friday night fights or Tuesday night fights or every Sunday we're going to do a fight, whatever it is, boxing is never held. If there was a boxing event in your local town and you think of yourself as a big boxing fan, would you go to it? If it was at the YMCA and it was 10 bucks and guys were bought, would you go to it? 
Is it that you truly understand boxing and just appreciate and like and enjoy it? Or is there something different here as terms of why MMA would not accept this? Is it because the MMA fan is a little bit more hardcore, a little bit more of a driven fan that does have a level of understanding? Is that what it is? Because I don't know that you could just stick two famous athletes or two famous human beings in any environment and have it work. I don't know that if Mayweather and Paul were going to go bowl, by example, or we're going to go play a game of one-on-one pig, by example, it, it has to be some level of environment. So we've proven and tested that it will work within the boxing environment. But I don't know that the people are going to watch or what they would call themselves boxing fans. They would be more of a loose term where you're a fan of something that is promoted and something of excitement that's happening here and something of a storyline. But why wouldn't that work in MMA? Why don't we, we see celebrity boxing all the time. Why don't we see celebrity MMA? That might be an easier way for me to ask you this question. And I'm seeing people get very turned off and disgusted by it. I'm not really sure why. Boxing has never had a competitive architecture to start with outside of the amateurs. The amateurs will go through the Golden Gloves, the national championships, and then even go internationally to a world and Olympic Games where it's a blind draw. You're in a bracketed format. The best guy is going to come out of this thing. But professional boxing does not have that level of integrity and does not have that kind of a competitive architecture. And frankly, in MMA, we're not any different. I'm not attempting to draw a divide between MMA and boxing. I'm asking specifically, why would celebrity boxing work and has always worked? And celebrity MMA would never even be a concept that got off the ground. Why? Why? And you see the problem here, right? Which is I'm winning you over to the idea that you don't just want to see a level of celebrity come into MMA. It's the why that we're missing. I am as well. Why do we not want to see that? But we acknowledge that we don't. That's where you could tie in somebody like Clarissa Shields, who is very famous and skilled in one sport, but she's not famous. She's not going to have trouble walking down the street from getting mobbed by the paparazzi or even your average fan. But a, a fight promoter will want to bring her over and then feed her a bum. That wouldn't work if you gave, if she was wildly famous, that idea doesn't work within MMA. But it would work within boxing. And if we're trying to unpack this and you're trying to sort out the answer, and please do because it would, it would get to a little bit philosophical, I personally would be very curious if we could identify it. It might be one of those things that we simply will never know. We know it exists. We know the phenomenon is real. We know that what I'm saying is true. Celebrity boxing, yes. Celebrity MMA, no. It's the why. And before you get too upset with boxing or you don't like the direction that boxing is going and you're an MMA fan, that's why you love MMA. Before you do that, don't forget it's your fault to start with. It is your fault to start with. You're the one who started the whole damn ridiculousness. Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather was ridiculous. It made no level of sense. You have one guy who's a professional within a sport against a guy who's on rent. You have one guy who is said to be the greatest that a sport has ever had, who is a second generation, a third within his own family, but it's a whole other generation against a guy who had never been licensed. It was silly on its face. It was a cash grab. It was nothing more than that. Now, in hindsight, it turned out to be a damn good contest. 
Connor really stunned and shocked and surprised us all. But that would have been the moment where you grab these reins and run with it. That would have been the moment where you identify and call boxing out for what it is, which is a fake sport. There is no real sport in the world where a guy who's the greatest at it could take on a guy who had never done it, and 30 minutes later, it's over. That, ju- that would never happen. I come to you from an amateur wrestling background to, ex- to explain to you how fast that match would be over no matter how good this other athlete that you were bringing in was. Or if he had a size advantage, a height advantage, a youth advantage, whatever you wanted to write down on paper to attempt to justify what you just saw, which was the greatest your sport has ever had, just got tested and tried for 30 minutes against a guy who in any other jurisdiction could have got a license. That's what it was. And before anybody with an MMA wants to get upset with Floyd, y'all started it. Floyd's been doing the sideshow act for many years now, but his first was with Connor, at least on its surface, right? But we have to we have to be able to acknowledge what it was before it happened. It's like if Paul goes out there and goes with Floyd, we haven't now learned something new. We don't now change what got us here. What got us here was a cash grab for attention between Floyd, who wanted to make some money and didn't want to have to work very hard, and Paul, who wanted to make some money and could get his ass kicked, but always be able to say, "Well, yeah, but it was by Floyd." He didn't. Paul didn't actually want to test himself. Paul didn't actually want to go down uh, to the local pal club and put on the gloves and come through the, the golden glove circuit because he had a love and a desire for a sport that he had a belief in and was willing to work hard for. Paul is 100% as guilty as Floyd. Floyd has a skill, easy money, sucker promoter, sucker audience. Paul, easy excuse for failure. I'm not hating on either one of them. I'm identifying what happened, and I'm remember I'm reminding that you all started it. Breaking down Oliveira and Tony Ferguson is a little bit more complicated than a lot of fights. Look, so many times in this sport, like all the time in this sport, we always reflect back to the guy's last fight. And there's an expression that's been around since the sport's been around in the 90s that you are only as good as your last fight fight. That is just going to be the public's perception, the only way you feel about yourself. Am I I going to be on a high about myself or am I going to be a little down about myself? It all has to do with your last match. And these two guys, Oliveira and Tony Ferguson, had drastically different last matches. I just don't know how true that expression, you're only as good as your last fight, actually is. I'm aware of the phenomenon and I'm aware that that expression is still around. But I don't know. So Oliveira's won seven in a row. Bring you guys up to speed on him. Tony Ferg just lost. But Tony Ferg also lost a world championship fight. A five-round long drawn-out war against Justin Gaethje, of which was an upset, by the way. Ferguson was a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite going into that fight. That didn't wasn't just a commentary at the time on Ferguson's skills versus Gaethje's or perception thereof. It was also because Gaethje had taken the fight on very short notice. I mean, you guys will remember, it was like, uh, 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 Gaethje took that fight on 11 days notice. Now, I understand that show then ended up getting moved three weeks. 
So 11 days notice all of a sudden turns into about a, uh, you know, 30 days notice and it's not as much of a talking point, but I'm just trying to remind you of that time frame because that fight still was a surprise. And I don't know that anybody was more surprised that night than Justin Gaethje. I could see it on Justin's face. I could see as he started to build momentum. As that snowball started to gain size. I could see where he then started to get in the rhythm. He started to find where I want to fight Tony and how I want to fight Tony. And then he was able to go out and duplicate that for the process of the evening, what's constituted just under five rounds. Now, I bring that to you only because if you want to look at last fights and you're only looking at outcome, I feel that there's you're, you're going to miss a big part of the story. Who you're fighting, where you're fighting on the card. Don't forget, Tony had weighed in two weeks before the fight because he was supposed to be weighing in for the original 249, so he saw the weigh-in through. He saw the training camp through time and time again. It wasn't even supposed to be Gaethje. It was supposed to be Khabib. There was a lot of moving parts, which brings me to my final conclusion of that night, which is Tony was tired. I felt as though that's what my eyes were showing me. They were showing me a guy who was tired, who was dealing with a level of fatigue. I'm not talking about his cardio wasn't on point. I'm not talking about he was starting to wilt in the contest because Gaethje had come in with a fuller gas tank. Talk about he was tired. He was physically tired. He was mentally tired. He was drained, and you could see it. And I felt as though Tony was trying to push through and he was trying to persevere that Tony showed a lot more positive attributes than he did negative. But I think that what I saw was an athlete who was tired. I have to be very careful because the athlete that I am describing that my eyes saw as tired, physically and mentally, was showing the same signs of an athlete who has now lost the battle to father time. That is largely what slowing down is for an older athlete. I just don't think that's what happened in Tony's case. I think there was just there was just too many bricks. Too many bricks had stacked up against him. I think that it just slowed him down a little bit, but that speed is very important because the speed of a match... When you've got to consolidate into a three-round atmosphere versus a five-round atmosphere. And so many times we've seen an athlete, and now I'm talking about Oliveira. So many times we have seen an athlete who's done everything right and belongs. He belongs in there with the best in the world. He belongs in there in a main event. He belongs in there in a marquee matchup. But the pressures of that get to him. He questions himself. He walking out at the very end of the night. Whether he's A-side or B-side, when you're closing the show and so many greats have come before you and you start to question, am I worthy and do I belong? We've seen that bite a guy in the ass. And we've seen him wilt a little bit to it. And then he comes back stronger than ever. He goes, oh my God, this this was all mental. I, I didn't realize. The match is the same. My job is to go out and do the same thing. The environment changed. The environment got to me. Give me another shot. I was immature. Very real thing, and we see it all the time where guys bounce back. I'm submitting this for you because Oliver is in a very unique spot in that he's fighting the top guy in the world. This is as close to a number one contender's fight as he's ever been part of. He is going to have more eyeballs and attention on him. He's going to do more media. But he's not going to have to deal with the pressures of being the main event. He's not going to have to deal with the pressures of the doubts of, can I hold up for 25 minutes? 
He got all of the positives of a big fight without the one negative, which is all the heat is on you. The marquee, the numbers, do you move the needle for the worldwide leader or don't you, aren't going to be questions that he's asked. It's a very unique spot. And anytime you're asked to do something different than what you're used to doing, things are going to change for you, not only mentally, but physically. Tony is being asked to do something easier than what he's used to doing. Closing out the night is harder. The press and the buildup in the media is harder. Fighting five rounds is harder than doing what's asked of him, but it's different nonetheless, which means Tony is going to have to deal with that, strategically speaking, all the same. Tony has X amount of punches he was going to throw if that was a five-round fight. He needs to throw those same amount of punches, but he needs to do it in 15 minutes. Many people have said that Tony Ferguson is a slow starter. I don't know that I see that. I don't know that I see Tony starting uh, slow as much as I see a guy that, that, that really can push harder later. And it may sound like we're saying the same thing with different words, but it's not the same. Either way, Tony does not have a round to kill. And we have seen him do that. We saw him do that with Anthony Pettis. Even if Tony won the round, we saw him killing a round. We saw him do that with Cowboy Cerrone. Even if Tony won the round, we saw him throwing minutes away, throwing exchanges away, getting himself antiquated. He just simply can't do that. That's not the world's biggest strategy and hurdle to have to overcome. He can do that mentally if he's aware of this. If he can acknowledge, I don't have time to waste. It's a three-round fight. I got to win two, which means my opponent's thinking the same thing. And my opponent is likely going to try to grab the first two. Can't let him do it. If Tony can be very disciplined in this fight and just win the first round, he will win the fight. It's the first round that can cost him. It's the first round. If there is anything to the narrative that he's a slow starter, that's where you're going to find out. If there is any kind of a natural questioning that Tony's having of himself now because of his fight with Gaethje, that's the round where you're going to find out. I would submit for you that strategically speaking and getting yourself mentally ready, and Tony's as strong as anybody when it comes to the mental side of it, but if strategically speaking he can really slow this fight down, not make it about 15 minutes, not make it about rounds one, two, and three, make it about five minutes, make it about round one. If he can just go out and commit and promise to himself that he's going to win the first round and does, I submit for you, Tony Ferguson wins the fight. All right, guys, let me give you my official fight predictions for this weekend. Okay, I want to start with Jacare and Holland, and I want to tell you this is the first time in my life I'm picking against Jacare. Jacare is in an interesting part of his career. He's fantastic. He is as dangerous as they come. He is always a good choice to be going and fighting a number one contender or world championship. I got nothing but good things to say about Jacare, but he appears to me to be conflicted with himself on his own strategy. He used to have a very clear plan A. Take the guy down with a very clear plan B of, if I can't take the guy down, then I go stand up. It's now not as clear. Over his last four fights, it seems as though he is not clear on his own first strategy. 
Now, that may be a goal achieved by him. I would suspect early on, as a grappling heavy guy, a world competitor, a world silver medalist in jiu-jitsu, only losing to Damian Maya, by the way. I would suspect that he has always wanted to get his hands and his feet and his knees and his elbows, meaning his stand-up, his striking abilities, on par with his grappling. I would imagine that has always been a goal of his. But now that he has achieved said goal, it is working against him. It is working against him because he's not going out there with the same urgency to close the distance, get my hands on this guy. And whether we end up against the fence or we're in the clinch on our feet in the open or we're on the ground with me top or bottom urgent. Close the distance. Get my hand on this guy. I don't see that same urgency. I'm now seeing a guy who's comfortable going wherever the fight will go. And that is what they will tell you as a young fighter. They will tell you that as a young athlete, that you want to be able to go wherever the fight goes. These are words. This is crap. You want to go to what you do best and you want an urgency to get yourself there. I feel as though he's lost the urgency. I think he's I think he's drawing Kevin Holland at the wrong time. First time ever, I'm going against Jacare. Co-main event. I got to go with Tony Ferg. I really feel that what we saw with Ferguson versus Gaethje, not that there's even a relevance to that contest. Not that there is even a tie-in based on what Tony did five months ago and what he needs to go out and do Saturday. But I do feel as though, if we're going to speak on it, that we just saw a guy that was tired. Mentally and physically. A guy who was supposed to bite Khabib in front front of one of the biggest sold-out arenas in the history of a sport to a guy who's fighting in front of absolutely nobody, which had never been done before. It was the first headlining fight in the middle of a pandemic. A drastically different opponent in a striker who is Gagey versus a ground guy who is Khabib. Drastic differences, drastic changes. Tony pushed through them all, kept his head down and his mouth shut. I felt like he was tired. Overtrained, undermotivated, made weight a couple times in a row. I only submit that for you because we're only going to be able to make excuses for so long. In all fairness, at some point, we just we just turn to the, the leasee-lessor contract. You can all be friends if you want, but at some point, you got to defer back to the contract. And we are going to have to look at wins and losses in a period of time, and I get, I, I get that the argument of Tony Ferguson, we all love him, and we want to see him at top. I get that that doesn't hold up forever, but for me, it does hold up for now. And I don't know that he's going to get the bounce that he will deserve if he beats Oliveira. People always seem to forget It's only a name recognition sport. What about the mere fact that Tony Ferg is the only top guy in the upper echelon to even give Oliveira his shot? I mean, what about that? Those are things that we used to give guys their due for. We used to respect and credit guys for. I don't know if that's happening with Tony, though it should. And I wanted to bring that to your attention. And then ultimately, you turn to the main event. And I got it in still. Look, you want to know my favorite thing about Figueroa's last fight? It was that that fight wasn't all moonlight and canoes. It was that he got put down. He got swarmed. And even if you go look at that fight, go, chill, what are you talking about? This fight was over in the first round. Yeah, I understand that. But if you didn't watch the fight, then you don't understand what I'm saying, which is a lot happened in that first round, including the champ dealing with adversity. A lot of champions don't have to deal with that for a meaningful amount of time. And then you find out they're a bully. They, can't, they don't do well with adversity. They don't do well with the punches and the kicks. They do well with aggression. They don't deal well with fighting. 
And even if, if it was a glimpse, we still saw it and it still happened. And Figueredo still overcame and Figueredo still found a way. What does that have to do with Figueredo's skills against Moreno's skills? Look, in most part, both of these guys are still a forming experiment. Figueredo's a champion of the world. He's never been to championship rounds. Just by example, you have a champion who still leaves a lot of questions, including the time duration. But I feel as though the opposite with Ferrego is true as to what we would normally say. Generally, when we see a great fighter like Figueredo not do something yet, we will then decide in our own mind that he can't do something. If we see a great fighter not go five rounds, we will decide that he can't go five rounds. I'm seeing something different. I am seeing the more minutes that go by, Figueredo looking better and stronger. I tend to fall in the category that he's going to thrive in championship rounds. Not just look good or be equal to. I I tend to lean towards the camp that he's going to thrive. He's going to look his best in championship rounds, which, which is a big guess by me. And it's nothing more than a guess and a hypothesis by me, but that's the way I see it. I think he's getting better, and I could I could give plenty of compliments to Moreno, not to mention I think Moreno's catching him at the right time, not to mention there is a naiveness to Moreno. Not knowing what you don't know is very helpful as an athlete. Having all the answers is where it becomes a problem. Knowing too much is where it becomes a problem. I'm speaking about Moreno. Even though he just fought two weeks ago on the same card as Figueroa, they're having the same turnaround time after having the same result, which is impressive, quick first-round finishes. It isn't the same preparation. Figueroa, whether he win it or not, was prepared for five rounds. Moreno, whether he win it or not, was prepared for three rounds. I will just submit for you that your easiest time going five rounds is going to be your first time. Because you don't realize and you don't know ahead of time how awful that experience is going to be. I think it's going to serve Moreno in a positive way. I just also think that over the course of 2020, we as a community have succeeded at one thing, which is identifying who the best featherweight in the world is, and it happens to be Figueredo. Adesanya made a very interesting statement. Adesanya said, I wish opponents would start trying to take me down again. I want to choke one of them out. He was talking about the fact that he's got some some new tools and some more tools, and he wants to show off some of his ground game. Hold the thought. Back up to exactly what Izzy said. I hope that opponents start trying to take me down again. That supposes that somewhere along the lines they've stopped. Now that would be very peculiar if Adesanya believes that to be true because he could not be more wrong. Every opponent has tried to take him down. Every opponent is, is frightened, flat out frightened, to be on their feet with him. Runner of Robert Whitaker's, and Robert Whitaker is as good of a fighter as there has ever been. Robert Whitaker is as good of a fighter as you have ever seen and possibly ever will see. Didn't love the matchup with Adesanya a second time, knowing what he knows now after the experiences he had the first time, because he didn't love his own ability to change the realm the fight would be in. 
Now, I only bring that to you because if Adesanya truly believes that guys have stopped trying to take him down, he truly believes something that is not true. The question becomes, why are guys not taking him down? And if you go watch Adesanya's fight with Marvin Vittori, that looked as though it was going to be the blueprint on how to beat Izzy. Take him down and keep him there. That's it. Win a 10-9, get him off his feet, take his tool away, uh, keep him there. Three fights later, Adesanya's in the ring with Brunson. Brunson, who is a much better wrestler than anybody that Izzy had faced at that point, got a grand total of zero takedowns, but it wasn't because Brunson wasn't trying, it's because Adesanya was defending them. Adesanya does such a good job with range. Range is one of these words that some jerk that wants to look smart in the fight business is going to come out and drop some terms on you like that. Well, range and distance and pace and footwork, like, you know, control the draft, make sure you dig to the body. Like, there's a few terms that some guy can throw out and he'll look like he knows more about fighting than the next guy. But it's never true. I mean, you'll hear about a reach advantage, but you'd have to go back to 1989 watching uh, Tommy Hitman Hearns to actually see a guy with long arms that knew how to use them. You would have to go that far back. So it's one of these silly things, but in this case, it's also true. Adesanya understands range. He understands distance. He understands keeping you at the end of his punches. Where that becomes relevant is because he's so damn long. If he succeeds at that, if he succeeds at range and distance and keeping you at the end of punches, you now don't have an ability to take a shot, let alone get one. You don't even have the ability. There's a rule within wrestling. But it doesn't matter if you're amateur wrestling or you're wrestling in MMA. If I put my hand out straight and I cannot touch you, you're too far away for me to attack. If I put my hand out and I cannot touch your shoulder or your forehead, there is no point in me changing elevation and penetrating a forward motion. You're too far away and I'm not going to get there. And it doesn't have to do with how good I am or how inexperienced you are. I mean, think about it from this perspective, guys. I, I chill, I'm going to wrestle you right now. Right now. How scared are you? Try none. Try not at all, because I can't reach you. And you don't have to be on the other side of this computer for my point to still be true. I'm not even going to try. No matter how inexperienced you are, how experienced I am, if my hand cannot touch you, you're simply too far away. You could be a softball player. I could be a... It's still not going to work. I have to be within a certain range. So Adesanya does a great job of keeping these guys... Go back... Izzy should do this himself. If he truly thinks guys aren't trying to take him down, he should go back and watch his fight with Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero, who is an Olympic silver medalist and a world gold medalist and is said by Daniel Correa himself to be the best wrestler in MMA, for five rounds wanted to take Izzy down. And in those five rounds, only saw one opportunity to actually go for a takedown, went for it, and got it. The reason Yoel didn't rinse and repeat that takedown he found in round number four, reason he hadn't done it earlier, he never even saw it. He never saw an opening because he knew the golden rule of wrestling, which is if I put my hand out and you're not within an arm's reach, you're too far away. Adesanya at all times was too far away. Paulo Costa's good enough on his feet and powerful enough. He may be the only guy that went in there with a strategy that I'm going to trade with him for a little bit, then I'll take him down if it doesn't work out. But Paulo Costa never saw the opening. Izzy's moving. Izzy's bouncing. Izzy's elusive. Izzy's throwing front kicks. Izzy's keeping a distance. 
I only bring that to you because Adesanya's assessment of himself is false if he really means this. If he really means that he hopes guys start to try to take him down again, then that means he believes that guys have stopped, and that is false. All right, guys, good place to call it for the day, but we'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to You're Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. New to Podcast One Sportsnet, Michael Irvin and Ron Jaworski. The MIP. I am the MVP of the MIP. I am Michael Irvin, and I got a great show. It was a shock. It was a shock to the system. (laughs) (laughs) I went to practice the next day. I made every title. No big deal. Any other coach out here, you lose, you will lead too. But let me tell you what I pulled out of last week. It made me say, oh, that's a playmaker right there. Y'all saw it. I'm the guy, right? I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Look out! Trouble is coming. (laughs) Hello, everyone. This is Eagles Hall of Fame quarterback Ron Jaworski, and I am so excited to bring you the hottest new podcast for the NFL and gaming. Welcome to Jaws Picks, featuring me, Ron Jaworski, as I give you my expert analysis and predictions of each and every NFL game. And you could hear the quarterbacks like it was a practice. Yeah. And man, I was just loving hearing the quarterbacks call everything at the line of scrimmage. You know, they've kind of solved some of their problems over the last couple weeks, man. They were getting gutted on defense, but that's 53.3% correct against the spread. Download new episodes of the Michael Irvin Podcast every Thursday and Jaws Picks with Ron Jaworski every Wednesday and Friday on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Guys, do you need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yes, free, no subscription, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge watch. You're going to binge shows. You're going to be up to speed on the latest news. You're going to catch live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free. Hey, this is Michael, the Playmaker Irvin of the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast. Folks, we are headed into the 2020 NFL playoffs. Packers win NFC North for the second straight season. Devontae Adams, he's putting up those type of numbers in that snow freezing stuff that went on in Lambeau. They have home field advantage throughout the playoff. What team wants to go in there? Uh, the Rams, what NFC, the Cardinals, whoever gets in the playoffs, who wants to go into that cold and play, and they're playing like that in that cold? It's absolutely insane. Maybe Seattle can deal with it, but I don't see any other team in the NFC that can deal with it if they have to go to Lambeau. Stay tuned to the MIP, the Michael Irvin Podcast, every week to get the ins and outs on the road to the Super Bowl. Bet online, nothing says holiday time 
more than the final push into the NFL playoffs. With so many games on the schedule each week, there are plenty of action to keep track of and get on at betonline.net. BetOnline has the odds and lines all for free all the way through the season and even into the playoffs. Follow along at BetOnline as 32 teams continue their journey to Tampa this February for the Super Bowl. Visit BetOnline.net today. Bring the game home at BetOnline.net. 